The United States Border Patrol has exciting and rewarding career opportunities with the nation's largest law enforcement organization. Earn great pay with outstanding federal benefits and up to $20,000 in recruitment incentives. Learn more online at cbp.gov slash careers slash USBP. This is the American Veteran Show. Proud to finally say these two words. Welcome home. Dedicated to those who have worn the uniform. Tremendous national asset. Dedicated to our active duty men and women. They came not as conquerors, but as liberators. Dedicated to presenting issues, topics, and interviews highlighting their commitment to our country. I want to thank the courageous men and women who've served their country in uniform. Less than 1% population of our country chooses to serve our country in the military and the other 99% of us we owe them online at americanveteranshow.com here's Stephen Tubbs welcome to this week's edition of the American Veteran Show thank you as always for joining us on this Sunday brand new episode ahead for you we will take a look back at the Cuban Missile Crisis on its 59th anniversary that coming up in the middle portion of the American Veteran Show. We will end it with the loss this past week of our most frequent guest here on the program, and we will not even come close to doing her justice, the patriotism, the sense of duty. Though she never served, she certainly served others. And we'll end the program on that as we mourn the loss of a dear friend not only to the program, but to me personally. Appreciate your time. We could not do a program like this every week without our presenting sponsor, John Boson, attorney at law. His team of attorneys, they fight on behalf of veterans every single day. If you've got an issue, you just don't know what to do, and you have served, give them a call, 303-999-9999, or online anytime, bosonlaw.com. That's B-O-E-S-E-N. Law.com, bosonlaw.com. As we begin this Sunday's program, we look back at the life of Colin Powell, who passed last week. That kid from the South Bronx became not only the first black chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, at 54, he's also the youngest. Our strategy to go after this army is very, very simple. First, we're going to cut it off, and then we're going to kill it. I guess that's how you talk when you come from a tough neighborhood. Your neighborhood in, in the Bronx, it's changed a lot since you grew up there. Several times. It was uh, destroyed uh, totally after I left. My home was uh, burned out by uh, drug dealers, and then it was torn down by the city. And now uh, a garden apartment has been built at the same location. But it's still a pretty uh, depressed neighborhood. Just last year, Powell returned to that depressed neighborhood to talk to kids at his old high school. We had lots of drugs in my neighborhood. On every street corner was some pothead or junkie who was trying to sell or deal or get others involved in it. I didn't do it, never in my life, not even to experiment for two reasons. One, my parents would have killed me. But the second reason is that we knew it was stupid. People ask, did you have a strong family life and said, yeah, it was a powerful family. But we didn't sit around like the Brady Bunch at night talking about values. I just watched how my parents lived. And that's how values are passed on. They were very important to you. They were very important to me. Uh, Very important. They they gave you that foundation? I I think so. I didn't know it while I was uh, growing up as a kid. I was just another kid on the block. And somehow after I 
grew up and left home and started to realize what it was I left home with, I, I discovered how important it was over the years. Most of the men who've reached your level in the military came from West Point. You came from the Hunts Point <laughs> section of the Bronx. Is there, do you get some strength in that and knowing that you didn't come up that way, yet you still made it? Um, for those of us who did not start out with a clear career choice, as our academy colleagues did, uh, perhaps we get a little more satisfaction from the fact that uh, we were late, late starters. Uh, joking with my colleagues and the chiefs, I sometimes refer to us as Christmas help, who stayed on. When Powell got out of college, he went into the Army. His parents, who'd immigrated from Jamaica, had dreams for their only son to succeed in America. But as Powell told students in Vancouver, Washington, a lifetime of military service wasn't exactly what his parents had in mind. My mother uh, was very proud of me when I went in the Army, but uh, they always expected that I would come out at the end of two or three years, like all of the other members of the family came out after two or three years. And it was with some distress that she noted that I kept staying. And I kept going to these strange places, Germany, Vietnam, Korea... And she always worried about me until the day she came to my ceremony uh, for promotion to Brigadier General after I'd been in the Army 20 years. And by then, she finally resolved herself to the fact that I guess he's not coming out to get a job. <laughs> Powell never did come out to get a job. In Vietnam, he earned the Soldier's Medal for Valor by going back into a burning helicopter to pull others out. He rose rapidly through the ranks, serving in military and political positions, finally becoming national security advisor to President Reagan. In 1989, President Bush picked Powell to be chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff. The late Ed Bradley, many years ago, focusing and, and highlighting the late General Colin Powell. Now, I realize, especially on a program like this, Colin Powell can be a polarizing figure, but... Whatever you do, please take this, at least for me, if you have grown to even a little bit. Trust me over the years. No one should question whatsoever Colin Powell's patriotism, love of country, love of service. And he certainly did. It is this host's opinion that Colin Powell did not know he was lying in front of the U.N. General Assembly. We take you back. Emerges from the thick intelligence file we have on Iraq's biological weapons is the existence of mobile production facilities used to make biological agents. Let me take you inside that intelligence file and share with you what we know from eyewitness accounts. We have first hand descriptions of biological weapons factories on wheels and on rails. The trucks and train cars are easily moved and are designed to evade detection by inspectors. In a matter of months, they can produce a quantity of biological poison equal to the entire amount that Iraq claimed to have produced in the years prior to the Gulf War. Saddam Hussein's intentions have never changed. He is not developing the missiles for self-defense. These are missiles that Iraq wants in order to project power, to threaten, and to deliver chemical, biological, and if we let him, nuclear warheads. And again, this is not the program to have the debate about General Colin Powell, but it is my opinion that he was following orders. And we had great debate over the last week on our regular program as to, well, what if he had done that? 
What if he had done this? What if he had only... Well, we'll never know. The one certainty is, at the end of the day, you could say the GOP turned on Colin Powell, and Colin Powell turned on the GOP. So you you just label them flatly cheap shots? Well, yeah, they are cheap shots. I mean, several of the ones he, he tosses at me, you know, he, he takes a great credit for my resignation in 2004. Well, President Bush and I had always agreed that I would leave at the end of 2004. After the election, I stayed on for three more months because I, I wanted to and because there were some conferences that I wanted to attend and because Dr. Rice hadn't been confirmed. So there's no news there. He says that uh, I went out of my way not to present my positions to the president, but to take them outside of the administration. That's nonsense. The president knows that I told him what I thought about every issue of the day. Mr. Cheney may forget that I'm the one who said to President Bush, if you break it, you own it. And you have got to understand that if we have to go to war in Iraq, uh, we have to be prepared for the whole war, not just the first phase. And Mr. Cheney and many of his colleagues did not prepare for what happened after the fall of Baghdad. And I persuaded the president to take the case to the United Nations to see if it could be solved without war. And if it couldn't be solved without war, we would have people aligned with us. Mr. Cheney went out immediately after the president made that decision and undercut it by giving two speeches to two veterans groups that essentially said he didn't believe it would work. That's not the way you support a president. Then he also says that uh, I was not supportive of the president's positions. Well, who went to the United Nations? And regrettably, with a lot of false information, it was me. It wasn't Mr. Cheney. I supported the president. I support the president's decisions. I gave the president my best advice. Colin Powell talking with Bob Schieffer on CBS Sunday morning several years ago. Again, we mourn the loss. Governor Jared Polis here in Colorado has lowered flags in the state to half-staff in honor of the late Colin Powell, a great American. When we come back, we take a look back 59 years ago to the Cuban Missile Crisis. We're off and running on the American Veteran Show, AmericanVeteranShow.com. Our goal is not the victory of might, but the vindication of right. Not peace at the expense of freedom, but both peace and freedom. And we hope around the world, God willing, that goal will be achieved. Now, back to The American Veteran Show. Here's Stephen Tubbs. Welcome back to The American Veteran Show. Thank you so much, as always, for giving us time. Be sure to check out our new and, I guess you could say, improved. Yes, it is improved. Our new website, AmericanVeteranShow.com. I set up the first one, and then I kept hearing from little voices. You know, your website... Well, from your website is no good to it sucks to it's decent. I admit it. I am not a webmaster. But now, AmericanVeteranShow.com, new and improved. And if you have missed any episode, you want to go through the archives and see some of the great nonprofits connected with the military that we've profiled. Some terrific one-on-ones with World War II, Korean, Vietnam, Gulf War I and II, Panama, Somalia. Iraq and Afghanistan veterans, this is the place and the place to hear those past episodes as we slowly but surely come and wrap up Season 5 here right now at AmericanVeteranShow.com. It was 59 years ago today, so I was still floating around in the universe. I was not born until early 1969. 
But certainly, if you paid attention to your history classes or if you went through it, the Cuban Missile Crisis, 59 years ago this month. Let me tell you, for people who were not around in 1962, it had to be something. And just how close we came to potential nuclear war with the Soviet Union. In less than four years, Fidel Castro, who came to power on a wave of personal popularity, has allowed himself to become dominated by Russia. Her support now constitutes a threat to Western security. Russian missile bases less than 100 miles from the United States. President Kennedy's dramatic retaliation underlines the gravity of this threat. Announcing the blockade to prevent further build-up of Soviet strength, he added that further action may be justified. The president's warning follows closely on a daring mission by Cuban exiles. These exclusive pictures follow six men in their attempt to combat the communists, an abortive but gallant attempt at sabotage. Soon after landing, enemy ground and naval patrols forced them into hiding for five days. Their food ran out, and eventually they attacked one of the Castro patrol boats and sank it by night. Before making their escape, they saved two of the crew. Army Sergeant Suarez Lima, badly wounded, was one of them. He later sought political asylum from the Castro regime. Castro may be the figurehead of Cuba, but in fact, he's a mere pawn in a Soviet gambit which threatens world peace. Love playing you those old newsreels here on the program. So it was 13 days in October 1962. Really, it was the world, I would imagine, either very tuned in or clueless. And on that cliche, pins and needles, seemingly on the brink of nuclear war. And... We commemorate that this week on the American Veteran Show, again from October 1962. Just a couple of quick uh, trivia items. Uh, the entire, you know, we, we hear the uh, phrase 13 days in October, but depending on how you look at it from the historic perspective, it was really more than a month. I did not know this until doing a little bit of research that the Cuban Missile Crisis was also known as the October Crisis of 1962. How about this one? The Caribbean Crisis or the Missile Scare. 59 years ago this month. The Soviets seemed intent on testing the quarantine line that Saturday. A U.S. ship dropped depth charges on a Soviet submarine in the Caribbean. And most harrowing. An American spy plane on a mission over Cuba fell off the radar. You hear the moment on the tape. A messenger comes into the room. You hear Jack Kennedy for a moment. He's flustered. YouTube, YouTube was shut down. The uh, fire against our morality and surveillance shut down. Yeah, Verizon said it was not shut down. We have said that if Russia shoots down one of our U-2 reconnaissance planes, we will immediately retaliate. We'll immediately bomb that missile site that took out the plane. And then we will prepare for an all-out invasion. And you hear in the background this chorus of voices. We said we will retaliate. We have to do it right now. You know what Kennedy says? He says, well... Let's take a break, gentlemen. Time and again, 
when the hawks in that room, when the Joint Chiefs of Staff are insisting on invading, Kennedy pulls them back. He says, let's go to dinner now and talk about, you know, the Jupiter missiles. Let's talk about a trade. Kennedy could see the chance for a peaceful solution was slipping away. So he chose the person he most trusted, Brother Bobby, to take an urgent message to the Soviet ambassador in Washington. He was proposing a way out, which involved the U.S. giving up a set of redundant weapons, the newly installed Jupiter missiles in Turkey. Kennedy repeats his demand for Khrushchev to pull out, says that time is of the essence. If Khrushchev pulls his missiles out of Cuba, the U.S. will, over the next few weeks, pull its missiles out of Turkey. The president was willing to back down, pull out the American missiles from Turkey, but only if that was kept secret. The strategic air command bombers are circling over the Arctic, waiting for the go signals. Other bombers in the United States, they're being handed their target packets to bomb Russia the next day. In Florida, the 5th Marine Expeditionary Force is readying for the invasion, an invasion, war. If Russia's drawn into it, and it will be, these are Russians on Cuba, nuclear war. This is Radio Moscow. Premier Khrushchev has sent a message to President Kennedy today. The Soviet government has ordered the dismantling of weapons in Cuba, as well as their quaking and return to the Soviet Union. Khrushchev accepts. That from a PBS documentary on the Cuban Missile Crisis. Again, this country, the world, experiencing it this month, 59 years ago. Please stay with us. Uh, We've got two more segments to go here on the American Veteran Show this Sunday. Next, we will continue our look at the Cuban Missile Crisis from today's perspective and play you some archive sound. And then as we wrap up today's program, our most frequent guest... A dear friend of mine passed this past week bleep cancer, and she fought so hard until the end. We will have more on the late Michelle Mallon with the Honor Bell co-founder, executive director for so many years, and just a dear friend. And we will pay tribute to Michelle as we continue the American Veteran Show. But in the meantime, please stay with us.
continue now with Stefan Tubbs. So appreciative that you're with us on a Sunday. Look, the NFL season is underway. The NBA season started last week. You've got hockey. You've got church obligations. You've got family. You've got friends. And it's your weekend. But you make the time to join us here on the program. And that means the world to us. And I know somewhere, somehow, our veterans who have passed they know that you're thinking of them via this little radio program known as the American Veteran Show. Uh, we continue our look back. It was 59 years ago this month, in October 1962, the Cuban Missile Crisis. Good evening, my fellow citizens. This government, as promised, has maintained the closest surveillance of the Soviet military buildup on the island of Cuba. Within the past week, Unmistakable evidence has established the fact that a series of offensive missile sites is now in preparation on that imprisoned island. The purpose of these bases can be none other than to provide a nuclear strike capability against the Western Hemisphere. Only last Thursday, as evidence of this rapid offensive buildup was already in my hand, Soviet Foreign Minister Gromyko told me in my office that he was instructed to make it clear once again, as he said his government had already done, that Soviet assistance to Cuba, and I quote, pursued solely the purpose of contributing to the defense capabilities of Cuba, unquote. That, and I quote him, training by Soviet specialists of Cuban nationals in handling defensive armaments was by no means offensive. And that if it were otherwise, Mr. Gromyko went on, the Soviet government would never become involved in rendering such assistance, unquote. That statement also was false. Acting, therefore, in the defense of our own security and of the entire Western Hemisphere and under the authority entrusted to me by the Constitution as endorsed by the resolution of the Congress, I have directed that the following initial steps be taken immediately. To halt this offensive buildup, a strict quarantine on all offensive military equipment under shipment to Cuba is being initiated. All ships of any kind bound for Cuba, from whatever nation or port, will they found to contain cargoes of offensive weapons be turned back. It shall be the policy of this nation to regard any nuclear missile launched from Cuba against any nation in the Western Hemisphere as an attack by the Soviet Union on the United States, requiring a full retaliatory response upon the Soviet Union. I call upon Chairman Khrushchev to halt and eliminate this clandestine, reckless, and provocative threat to world peace and to stable relations between our two nations. I call upon him further to abandon this course of world domination and to join in an historic effort to end the perilous arms race and to transform the history of man. Our goal is not the victory of might, but the vindication of right. Not peace at the expense of freedom, but both peace and freedom here in this hemisphere, and we hope around the world. God willing, that goal will be achieved. Amazing. From 59 years ago this month, President Kennedy talking to the nation, and of course to the world, and Soviet leaders as we commemorate the 59th anniversary of the Cuban Missile Crisis. Step by step, 
moment by moment. The key decisions of this crisis period were to come from the Executive Committee of the National Security Council. Overall responsibility for the military operations embodied in those decisions was to rest with Admiral Robert L. Dennison, Commander-in-Chief Atlantic. It would be a massive undertaking involving large elements of all the services. Ships moved out to establish a quarantine line through which no foreign vessel could pass unseen, while a second task force, including attack carriers such as the Enterprise, went into position for instant reaction should the defense of Guantanamo become necessary. With almost no advance notice, able to take with them only hand luggage, service dependents were evacuated from the naval base at Guantanamo. The quarantine to be effective required one of the most widespread, carefully coordinated maritime surveillance operations ever undertaken. Ships and aircraft of all services kept watch over thousands of square miles of ocean. All sightings were relayed swiftly to sink land at Norfolk. At the same time, both low and high level reconnaissance photos taken by Marine, Navy and Air Force pilots were providing a continuous flow of information as we monitored the progress of the crisis. Immediate reinforcement of the Guantanamo force was of prime importance. From stations in the United States, Marine Corps units went into action. These were units which were ready to go on an instant's notice. Their weapons and equipment were already loaded in trucks which stood waiting outside their barracks. In minutes, they were on their way. Within hours, airlift was landing these troops in Guantanamo, enough of them to double the fighting strength available there. In addition to the troops brought by air and ship, still others would be held ready on board ships at sea. Whatever might come, the Marines on Gitmo were ready. Simultaneously within the United States, massive troop movements were swiftly carried out. Airborne forces prepared to board planes which would take them to marshalling areas in Florida, along with their equipment, rigged and ready for combat airdrop. In the tent cities which sprang up in Florida, they would receive detailed briefings on contingency plans and make sure that they were prepared to carry them out should the final orders come. At the same time, armored forces prepared to move from the southwest to positions from which they could swiftly embark. By train and by highway convoy, they moved out. Their destination, too, was Florida. Homestead Air Force Base near Miami became a center for joint military operations. Here, the forward headquarters of Arland, the Army component of the overall Sinkland Command, was established. And here, too, tents and mobile communications equipment crowded one another beneath the pines. Our ground-to-air missile capability was greatly expanded along the southeastern sector of our national boundaries, as Hawk anti-aircraft missile batteries were brought from other areas of the nation and put into place. The deadly striking power of Nike Hercules batteries was also reinforced and held in an advanced state of readiness. 
Radar picket planes of the Air Force patrolled constantly, feeding information back to the command headquarters of the air defense sector, which monitors our skies to the south. In their pre-positioned locations, fighter bombers of the Tactical Air Command were armed. Rockets, bombs, ammunition, air support for any limited war ground operation which might develop. Troop carrier squadrons of the Air Force Reserve, 24 of them, were called to active duty. Within 12 hours, all units were assembled and ready to go. As we often say, love bringing you the old newsreel footage and how they reported on something just so big. And I think for, for so many people like me who were born post-1962, the 1980s, yeah, you know, there was that threat in the Cold War, but... I personally could not have imagined, say, as we did just a few minutes ago, imagine living in a time where literally on your, what, two or three channel television or your radio, you hear the President of the United States talking about something that maybe you can't comprehend quite at the moment. You don't understand all the, the nuts and bolts, but you know this is a serious thing. And for those of you that went through this, I'd be surprised if it hasn't harkened back you know, to your past and remembering, certainly, what was going on 59 years ago this month. We wrap up the show, I say sadly and heartbroken, on a sad note coming up. But we pay respects and celebrate the life of a true friend of this program, our most frequent guest, Michelle Mallon from the Honor Bell Foundation. That comes up next. This is the American Veteran Show, AmericanVeteranShow.com. is the American Veteran Show, online at AmericanVeteranShow.com. Here's Stephan Tubbs. Thank you so much for joining us on this Sunday, and it is with a heavy heart that I send out condolences to Dean and Michelle Mallon's family. Michelle, proudly, and I say this, our most frequent guest here on the American Veteran Show. I pursued Michelle when she had given so much to starting the Honor Bell Foundation. I'm like, this is a great deal. A bell that will toll and bring dignified services to Fort Logan for our veterans. Michelle Mallon passed away this past week after a long, long, hard, tough battle. And she did not give up. But she lost that fight to cancer. But we will always, always remember her spirit and her patriotism. Thank you very much. I'm waiting on my American Veteran Show Stefan Tub Show t-shirt any day now. But I'm thrilled to be here. Thanks so much for having me back. <laughs> yeah, those are uh, still in the planning stages. Um, uh-huh. How has it been, friend? Uh, I know we get into it a little more this weekend, but um, yeah. th- this is not easy for, for nonprofits of any type. It's not. And for us, it's not easy for a few reasons. Um, as you know, and as many of your listeners know, they are good supporters. Our mission is kind of unique, uh, even in the veteran support community. And we, for those who don't know, toll a 1,000-pound custom-cast bronze bell in lieu of or augmentation to traditional military honors at funerals. Um, 
primarily at Fort Logan National Cemetery. The honor bell has not tolled since March 13th. Wow. That was the last day a traditional service uh, was held. Uh, burials and inurnments are still happening, but there are no shelter-based memorial services, no honors being rendered other than the handing of a flag, sadly, through a car window. Um, Wait a so minute. Our at- Wait a minute. <laughs> Say that one more time. Because of national guidelines, state guidelines, um, the National Cemetery Administration is following all the protocols for public health and safety, and we certainly support their decisions. Uh, March 13th was the last day across the National Cemetery Administration that full uh, services were held. So now, if you are laying a loved one to rest, it's graveside usually. The mourners have to stay within their vehicles. And they will receive an American flag, but the other honors are not being provided at this time. Through a car window? Again, it's a health and safety I issue, know. both for the mourners, for, you know, I know. I'm not trying to it's put, a, I'm not putting baby in a corner. Uh, you know I love you, I but. Know, I know, I know. It's, it's a very difficult thing. And I know that the folks at Fort Logan feel it very um, deeply as well. It, nobody's happy about this decision, but. It's what has to happen. So we are waiting to hear about when we will be able to resume services. We're looking forward to that, and hopefully it will be sooner rather than later. Um, And we will be probably busy. They will be allowing families to reschedule services Mm -hmm. um, if they were not, um, you know, able to have them now but still did a burial. And I think probably a lot of families are holding off. If they've cremated their loved Mm -hmm. one, that they're going to wait until they're able to have a proper service. And we will be there. As we continue in this final segment of the American Veterans Show, we look back and remember our friend, our dear friend, a patriot, Michelle Mallon, who passed away this past week. Well, Fort Logan as a whole averages 19 funerals a day. A day. Uh, We do, on average, three a day. Mondays and Fridays, we do up to eight. Those are really the busiest days. Um, so we're, uh, we've done 1,450 in two and a half years, and we're still new to some people, so we're still getting the word out and raising awareness uh, to render bell honors with our beautiful 1,000-pound bell. And you've heard Michelle on this radio station before. You've heard me talk about it, how uh, 12 Colorado veterans, the mementos from their life, whether it's a Purple Heart or Service Medal, that is actually melted in and was part of the casting process in Ohio when the bell was first cast. But again, a thousand pounds. I know kind of consistently, even if they don't give, you're still looking for people maybe to be part of the, uh, the honors, uh, the bell protocol, the bell guard Mm -hmm. and just veterans to get involved. Even if, you know, not everybody can, you know, donate a hundred bucks or whatever, but just to get involved as a veteran, even just volunteering, right? Yes. Um, Awareness, fundraising, biggest things always. Uh, The bell is very unique in that it it is only able to be told by veterans. So although we always look for civilian volunteers to help out, mostly to help me out, uh, we're also looking for veterans to be part of our honor bell guard. Um, It's similar to a color guard or an honor guard that you may have seen before, but we have a very specific protocol that we do. Um, And whether you do it once, once a week, once a month, Everybody is welcome. I am on a mission. I have a long list of veteran friends and dignitaries that I'd like to get to toll the bell at least once. Everybody who has done it has said it's powerful and meaningful. There's a physical response to it. 
because it vibrates through you um, and the sound of the bell. And so any veteran who wants to get involved, reach out to us. Once again, that's honorbell.org, honorbell.org, or send me an email and I can certainly connect you with Michelle via email. You guys are also... And I say you guys, I'm honored to be on the board now, so thank you. And I'm sorry I have to miss next week uh, and the, the next board meeting. Yeah, sure, Europe. Uh-huh, unlikely excuse. I know. You know what? I haven't actually even. So, Michelle, just cat Oops. out of the bag there. No, that's <laughs> fine. So this will be my final show until February 27th because I am turning 50 on Monday, and I am leaving with my high school best friend. We're two dudes in Prague, Vienna, and Budapest. What could possibly go wrong? I'm going to represent the country well, but I... I I don't know what will happen if something happens. So just know, please, I love you, and I love Honor Bell. <laughs> we love you. Just don't lose your phone this time, and you should be good. No doubt. But you guys, I know, and, and as part of the board, we were even talking in our, our last board meeting about the educational outreach. Does the bell travel? Like if there was a teacher or a principal or a school administrator listening around the metro area, and they would love a presentation, is that coming together? Yes. Uh, we, so we have three primary programs, and the education program is really, the funeral missions are obviously the primary goal, but our education program is about teaching young people and the public in general the importance of military service. Not that you have to serve, but that you have to respect it and respect what military service means to our freedoms and to our nation. And we focus a lot on uh, school groups. So we have done gosh, probably 50 school presentations in the last several years. And what age groups? Everything. We've done elementary school all the way up to seniors. And I, what's the reaction? The little kids are better. <laughs> the, the older <laughs> I'm kids, shocked. The older kids are, you know, you and I both have teenagers. Right. And the uh, older ones are a little too cool to be interactive, but the little ones love it. Um, they love touching the bell. They love seeing the bell. We have a, a PowerPoint presentation that we do, and we really let them engage. And uh, we... As you know, no one is allowed to touch the bell with bare hands right? Um, because we consider it a sacred object uh, because of those military artifacts and because, frankly, I just don't have enough Navy guys to polish that oh, much right. bronze. <laughs> but, um, so we wear gloves, and we have these white gloves that we give everyone to touch the bell. And with the little kids, it's so cute because they look like Mickey Mouse because the gloves are so much bigger than their hands. Um, but they love touching it and feeling it, seeing the texture of it. Um, it's it's really rewarding. It's mm -hmm. a lot of fun. So, uh, Michelle Mallon, again, Executive Director of the Honor Bell Foundation, I, I have to say, I think you are the most most frequent guest on the program over wow. the last year. Do I, I get a t-shirt or a medal or something? See that lady over there to the right? <laughs> okay. If there's a t-shirt to be had, she has it. Awesome. Um, well, it's my privilege, and I appreciate your support. Michelle Mallon, a true patriot, a hero, certainly to me and our most frequent guest on the American Veteran Show in nearly five full seasons. To Dean, her husband, to all of Michelle's family and friends, we'll see you on the other side and get you that American Veteran Show t-shirt. I love you, friend. The world is better because you were in it. That wraps up the American Veteran Show. Talk to you next week with a brand new episode. For producer Matt Steinkruger, I'm Stefan Tubbs. Have a terrific week ahead. Remember Michelle. Remember our troops. And remember their website, honorbell.org, if you'd like to maybe make a donation on Michelle's behalf and in her memory. We'll talk to you next week.
Show is a copyrighted production of Mountain Time Media Group, LLC. All rights reserved. Join us next week for another edition of The American Veteran Show. Searching for last-minute gifts? Shop the last-minute deal sale at Virginia ABC and save 20% on select 750-milliliter bottles. That's 20% off gifts for the hard to shop for, 20% off gifts guaranteed to fit, 20% off gifts to celebrate the season, and 20% off a little gift for yourself. Shop the last-minute deal sale at Virginia ABC, in stores and online, now through December 21st. Please sip responsibly. 